there's a chunk of work around communicating those designs to people. And that can mean things like exporting different file formats, saving a bunch of drawings as PDFs and naming them correctly and putting them in the right shared folder, and then emailing someone and telling them it's there and whatever. All that work honestly should be automated, you know, for two reasons. One is the chances of making a mistake if you have to manually do sort of 20, 30 steps after your sort of real brain work is done when you're now bored with it. The chances of screwing that up is pretty high, right? Even if you're really good and you're sort of a detail-oriented design engineer sort. And then it's simply a waste of time. This is the ERP Organizational Change Journal podcast, brought to you by Nestle & Associates, a Newport Beach, California-based ERP organizational change management firm serving the private equity industry. The ERP OCJ seeks to share expertise, insight, experience, and research, and to create effective conversation to help guide ERP organizational change to real, measurable, and verified success. And now, here's your ERP expert and host, the founder of Nestle & Associates, Dr. Jack Nestle. Hello everyone, Jack here. Today we're going to explore the challenges and solutions related to data management, automation, and integration in the manufacturing sector, focusing on the impact of substandard data management practices. We will discuss how tailored solutions for Autodesk Vault customers can enhance data management processes, the benefits of PowerGate, and the value of comparing multi-level bombs before transferring them to their ERP. Furthermore, we dive into deep CAD integration, data compliance, and the significance of connecting Autodesk to other business systems such as PLM, ERP, and so forth. Throughout the episode, we aim to provide valuable insights for private equity portfolio companies and all stakeholders involved in ERP organizational change. Our guest today, Milt Capsimalis, is a high-tech software executive with over 20 years of experience in software development, business development, and product management. With a focus on product strategy development and strategic alliances, Milt is currently leading the North American operations and business development at Cool Orange. So let's dive in and learn more about how Cool Orange enhances data management, automation, and integration processes for manufacturing companies. Joining us from Oakland, California, Milt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jack. I'm delighted to be here. Mel, before we get started, can you share more about yourself with our listeners? Further introduce yourself? Sure. Well, I'm a, I'm sort of a nerd from way back. I started out as a 3D computer graphics person in the computer graphics lab at Cornell University in the 80s. That turned into uh, an early career of uh, making the CAD world safe for 3D you know, worked on uh, everything from Autodesk uh, products, which they acquired our little company out of college, and then sort of moved through the CAD world into PDM and PLM. So dealing with the data associated with these uh, 3D CAD applications. So now my current focus is on dealing with keeping that corpus of data under control, cleaned up, integrating it with the other systems and companies that uh, sort of need access to that information that's created by the core cadre of designers, engineers, planners, etc. So that's where we are. Now. Well, thanks, Mel. Really excited to have you today and looking forward to sharing your, your insight with our listeners for sure. 
listeners, all of us here at the ERPOCJ hope you find this podcast useful as we share lessons learned, discover best practices, and explore the human element components of ERP organizational change. Please stay with us till the end. Milt will give us his actionable golden nugget of advice based on today's conversation, and I will recap today's key discoveries and offer my suggestions on how to implement what we've learned. Our conversations here are built around the listen and learn approach. It's when you apply what you've learned that you begin to move the needle. So let's dive in. So Mel, can you explain how substandard data management practices can impact technical resources and ultimately lead to wasted time and effort? Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you think about it, uh, say you're a manufacturing company, the work of what's often a small cadre of engineers and designers becomes the sort of original information that's used by everyone else, what we sort of consider downstream. So the people who procure all the parts, the people who actually do the manufacturing, uh, do shop floor scheduling and layout, et cetera. Um, If that original corpus of data is either not correct or not communicated well to the other potential consumers of that information, people wind up buying the wrong stuff, making the wrong things, making them incorrectly, uh, forgetting to do things. So I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a story. It's actually true, even though it sounds like something we'd make up. Um, we, we had a customer who they did cast iron parts for the food processing industry. And one of them was like an auger that, you know, it's a big, long metal shaft with a, a rotating screw at the end that pushes food into a tube, right? A big one. Uh-huh. Um, the they accidentally in their processes they didn't send the correct version of the file for the cast to the people who would actually make it when the part came back from an outsourced forge um it didn't fit and you know this is a fairly expensive part and the the time surrounded uh sending it out and getting it back and all that was non-trivial and it couldn't be machined into the right to the right size, actually need to be bigger, not smaller. So essentially the uh, CEO of that company who had rejected his engineer's request to automate some of that information exchange uh, to remind himself that he should listen to his engineer's request to keep track of their CAD data, took that, made it the anchor for his sailboat. <laughs> so that every time, every time he was dead in the water, he would remind himself that it was be, it was because of this uh, literal boat anchor that they made out of a mistaken uh, outsourced procurement. So, oh man, good story. <laughs> yeah, I would I would have made that up if it wasn't true, but it turns out it is true. That's funny. Um, Mel, research suggests that companies can lose up to 20% of their technical resources time on non-productive data management tasks. So how does Cool Orange tailor solutions for Autodesk Vault customers to help address that issue? Yeah, that's a great point. So if you think about the tasks of, a say, your, your classic design engineer, uh, most of the real brain work goes into doing an actual design. So uh, they've got a, a part they're supposed to design. They spend time in 3D CAD and then maybe in simulation and modeling to to get it right. But then there's a there's a chunk of work usually at the end uh, around communicating those designs to people. And that can mean things like exporting different file formats, saving a bunch of drawings as PDFs and naming them correctly and putting them in the right shared folder and then emailing someone and telling them it's there and whatever. All that work honestly should be automated, you know, for two reasons. One is the chances of making a mistake if you have to manually do sort of 20, 30 steps after your sort of real brain work is done when you're now bored with it. Um, 
the, the chances of screwing that up is pretty high, right? Yeah. Even if you're really good and you're sort of a, a detail-oriented design engineer sort. Yeah. Um, and then it's simply a waste of time, right? If it's the kind of thing that you can automate, you should automate it. And so that actually our, our sort of bread and butter tool set are a set of utilities for automating repetitive processes on top of the systems that manage this data. So you have your data in a, an engineering repository. In our case, it's usually an Autodesk vault, which is, you can think of it as source code control for CAD files. Well, when you have that all in there, then it's easy enough to access that information to run automation. So those manual steps, we write some scripts out that take the list of steps that you would have to do manually, do them for you automatically when you say it's, it's the right time. So in the end, you should automate anything that you can. And if you have powerful tools for letting you automate things, then usually people will because nobody really wants to do those kinds of like repetitive tasks. Um, yeah. they, you know, when they're done with their real. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mel, speaking of powerful tools, um, can you give our listeners an overview of what PowerGate is and how that benefits your clients? Sure. So the, the product that implements the things we just talked about is a thing we call our power jobs, which is like it sounds like it's a tool for automating jobs, right? The end of the thing, have it do these 25 steps. Now, the, the, the next thing is communicating the information that's in your corpus CAD data between systems, right? So we have a product called PowerGate, which as the name implies, I hope, uh, is a gateway between your PDM system, Autodesk Vault, and other enterprise systems that have uh, APIs that can you know that you can consume to communicate with them. So the classic examples are PLM systems, procurement systems, and sort of the the mainstay of this is ERP, right? So if you think about the classic integration from a design engineer, is I finish a design, I have a bill of materials that comes out of it, I have a set of drawings, maybe some other artifacts that have to be sent out for procurement or to to shop floor machines, um, I need to communicate that to the system of record that the people who run the shop floor, the people who do procurement, et cetera, again, which is not my CAD system. So usually that's e either ERP or a system that's adjacent to ERP technically. So mm -hmm. we have a gateway product that actually automates the communication at the right time in your design cycle of say, new bills of materials for new products or incremental changes to parts and bills of materials for existing products that are getting upgrades, correction actions, et cetera. So, and that's PowerGate. So, Mel, you know, clearly uh, you have a great deal of integration experience with PLMs and with ERP systems and in procurement. But um, I'd like to ask you a question here regarding BOMS, Bill of Materials. So sure. when comparing multi-level bombs before transferring them to an ERP, that helps obviously provide transparency between Vault and the ERP. But can you explain the value of this process and how it works within the context of Cool Orange's solutions? You know, that big issue, right? Just this idea of syncing and, and having that, you know, kind of that central source of truth for your bill of materials. So can you maybe walk our listeners through what that might look like from Cool Orange's sure. perspective? Yeah, no, that's a great point because if you think about uh, a complex manufactured product these days, multi-level bombs are now very complicated, right? Yeah. You know, gone are the days when we're, you know, you, you make something out of 10 parts, right? It's highly likely that things have thousands of parts, right? And those thousands of parts are, uh, for the manufacturing process, are, are 
are manufactured or procured from different disciplines, you know, casting and milling and, um, you know, they have different kinds of raw material needs, etc. So if you think you've released the design change for a, a non-trivial manufactured product, that multi-level bomb could be six, seven, eight levels deep, right? And have thousands of parts, right? So I defy anyone to manually type that into uh, the input screen for the material master in SAP, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's it's almost impossible to do well. I mean, there's there's people who somehow you know are zen enough to get through that, but <laughs> it's it's simply not the best way to do things, right? And the fact that you would like to have a computer level dialogue about changes to those things and know incrementally what's changing when and keep those things synchronized correctly. The only real way to do that is through automation. So mm -hmm. having software that handles the communication of the slightly different data form of that information on the CAD side versus the ERP side, right? Because, you know, codes mean different things on different sides and, and you know, one thing calls something this, but the other thing calls it that. They're really the same thing. You have to translate them correctly every time, right? But keeping them synchronized permanently over time is nearly impossible for a human, but it's the kind of thing that, um, you know, software excels at. So doing that and doing it in detail correctly at the right time during your design life cycle is utterly required to survive the sort of modern design to manufacturing processes. Well, thanks, Mel. Great insight. Appreciate that. If you don't mind, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions now, one regarding the CAD integration and then another regarding data compliance. But um, Mel, how does Cool Orange's deep CAD integration add value to your clients and what sets it apart from other solutions in the market? Well, so the way it adds value is we extend the user experience of a designer working in the CAD application of their choice, right? So um, it can be anything from AutoCAD, the sort of classic, right, to Inventor, SolidWorks, various of these applications that engineering designers work in all day, to the vault, which is where they store and keep track of the life cycle of the data output from that, right? We extend their user experience to sort of see through that gateway that integrates to other systems. So for example, we make it so that when I'm looking at changes to my bill of materials or changes to a particular item record that corresponds to the part I'm working on right now, we make it so that in that UI right there where I'm comfortable working, while I'm looking at my part in my bill of materials in my CAD system, I can see extended UI that are the values of that record as it's the record that it corresponds to in say ERP. So I can see cross plant status and you know potential information about a, a vendor that we buy this from if I need to know that information without going to that other system that I don't live in every day and trying mm -hmm. to find that part in that system and understand the codes over there that don't really mean anything to me, et cetera, right? So the idea of having this thing integrated is twofold. One is that synchronization of information during the process flow, but the other is the letting someone stay in their productive context while they're working on information that's not their, you know, sort of normal uh, uh, bailiwick, right? They, they uh -huh. get to see that, that ERP info right there in their CAD system in a way that makes sense in a context that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Does that make yeah. sense? 
Absolutely. And that, that's powerful too. Uh, but, but great point. You know, so your answer is number one, you extend that user experience. You ensure that there's a seamless integration between the various systems, whatever those may be. And in this case, you know, uh, you know, CAD in, in the ERP system. But you also are able to essentially present and put in the CAD tool itself information as it pertains to you know, appropriate information that, that, let's say, that engineer might have to reference that's already in the ERP system. Exactly. In fact, I mean, maybe it sounds a little grandiose, but the, the simple way of looking at it is that we sort of like give you a little window of UI that yeah. shows you information that's over in the other system, but it's right there in your current app, right? As opposed to, you know, changing windows and changing context, which even if you know your way around that system too, it's sort of a waste of time to change context. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a huge time saver. I think people might sometimes, uh, well, you either appreciate it or maybe underappreciate uh, that capability. I mean, that's right. pretty significant. You know, extended. If, 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 if our customers forget we're there, we're not offended. Yeah. <laughs> We'd right. rather it all just worked. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, Mel, uh, tell me a little bit about data compliance. And, and as you know, data compliance is a significant concern for many companies. But can you share with our listeners how Cool Orange's solutions ensure data compliance? Sure. Yeah, well, so there's, you know, I mentioned earlier that one of our uh, bread and butter things is this ability to do automations, right? So the things you have to do over and over again, we automate those so that you don't make mistakes, you do it the right way, et cetera. But there's an aspect to that, which is um, that we call it guardrails, right? So because the way our product works with the um, flexible architecture, in this case of the Autodesk products, we actually have the ability to put little bits of intelligence, little scripts interposed in the the client user's actions. So for example, I'm finishing a design. I want to check it into the overall design. So I made a change to a part and I want to check it into the, into the big machine that I'm working on. Um, when I do that, there's often a bunch of data compliance checks that would be worth doing before I let that change go through. And these can be simple things like just making sure you filled out a certain set of you know technical properties. But they often are more sophisticated than that. You really need to check against some constraints and you need to look some things up in some tables and make sure that they fit within the allowed parameters of whatever. And these are things that you've made a good start by having a system like uh, you know, a PDM system like Vault, because then you're you're keeping track of everything. You're not losing changes. You're signing off in the life cycle of who did what at what stage. So you have a you have an audit history of everything. But sometimes you need a little more sophistication, looking over the shoulder of the user to make sure that they're either not making certain kinds of data compliance mistakes, or to maybe do some things for them to ensure that certain things are filled in. So one of the things that happened, I'll give you a good example. Um, the the vault has lifecycle controls that you can say, um, Milt checked in this design, but then in the next step, Jack checked it for some kind of technical hazmat, hazardous materials check or something like mm -hmm. that. The vault records that, right? So it knows. But what you might want to make sure happens is that the the fact that those happen gets written into the title block of the drawing. And maybe even something like a digital signature gets created that says that each of us did our piece, right? 
Those are the kind of things that a little bit of intelligence watching over our shoulder can make sure either we did or will do it for us. You know, just by running a little program that, you know, maybe makes a digital signature and writes it in or just mm -hmm. simply drives our names into the, into the title block of the drawing, right? That's the documentation record. So those kinds of things, you know, guardrails on our adherence to best practices or compliance, right? And then automations to take care of us not accidentally making mistakes sort of combined to keep our data sets clean and our, our adherence to standard and best practices is, uh, is, is sort of assured. Yeah. So it's that combination between audits or the ability to audit flow management, you know, those guardrails, mm -hmm. digital signatures. So, you know, there's really a kind of a set of tools that, that you use to help manage the data compliance. Right. And, and we have sort of these little bits of scripts and things that run behind the scenes, making sure that all that gets done right. Because otherwise, it's yet another set of tedious tasks you have to do for yourself. And, and Mel, to what extent is like that? You talked about these guardrails and the ability to kind of guide that process, you know, whatever that may be, you know, the creation of an item, creation of a bomb. To what extent is that flexible? Oh, it's completely flexible. Uh, if you... Okay, we're nerds, so naming and marketing is not our great strength. But power in our product names implies PowerShell, Microsoft's PowerShell. Mm -hmm. yep. So what we've essentially built is a layer on top of the standard extension mechanisms that Autodesk gives to their products. And since they're all Windows, uh, you know, Microsoft.NET infrastructure based, it's actually very straightforward for us to extend that to allow these scripts, these automations and the guardrails to be written in PowerShell, which, you know, is sort of the lingua franca now of IT yeah. uh, automation in the, in the Windows environment. In fact, now with Azure, even past the Windows environment. So um, we've essentially made it so that you don't have to have, for the scripting portion and that you don't have to have Autodesk specific knowledge. You just have to have sort of IT specific knowledge. Now, the actual thing to do is deeply domain specific, right? What am I trying to automate? But if you want some help writing your script, you can turn to someone in IT uh, who knows their way around PowerShell because they just fixed up your Active Directory server and they can help you pull together the script to do that part of it. And we see that all the time. So, Mel, let me ask you this question then. So when you talk about the value of connecting Autodesk to, you know, whether it's PLM or procurement or ERP systems, um, you know, obviously there's some significant value in that and, and some of which we discussed today. And that is, you know, you extend the user experience from, let's say, your ERP system to your, your Autodesk environment. You know, you automate the process to save time. You have this uh, central source of truth. And then we talked about this idea of data compliance, right? So in other words, your, your product within Autodesk, you can manage all of those pieces so that by the time it gets to your ERP system, let's say, which for most organizations, you, you know, that's your single source of truth, right? Or your centralized mm -hmm. source of truth for most things. But it really helps you allow not only to design and build the product, but by the time that your item gets there or your bomb structure gets to your ERP system, you can check the box. It's correct. You know, we had the right audits in place. It's it's compliant. So that by the time it does get to your item master in your ERP system, uh, you know, you can you can be pretty confident that whatever ends up there is what's supposed to be there. 
Right. But what can you tell our listeners about what tools does Cool Orange use to facilitate that connection? But maybe if you would, Mel, think about this question more in terms of your implementation methodology, you know, because I think that technically your product uh, and the services that you provide and the products that you provide are pretty sound, but there's this other piece to it. And that is actual integration. That's the actual, that's the implementation process, right? So can you speak to our listeners, maybe how you folks go about that and what that might look like? Absolutely. I mean, you had a good point there, right? So uh, no two of these systems are ever exactly the same, right? Even if you're talking about the same target ERP system we're integrating with. Um, They're all opinionated about certain things and, and don't care about others. And then everyone's implementation of their core systems like ERP and procurement and all reflects the way that they do business, right? Whether that's the way they manufacture things, the way they buy parts, or the way they take orders from customers, right? So handling the flow and the the translation of sort of core design data to fit a specific implementation of, let's just take, you know, shop floor scheduling, right? Requires that the actual translation between the two systems be flexible. And the design of that is not obvious. We can't lay down a an absolutely standard handoff from a Autodesk Inventor bill of materials for a manufactured part mm-hmm. and the version of that that's going to show up in someone's SAP Material Master, right? So the way we do this is, um, and, and we also, it's very difficult to even have the discussion about that with a customer in the abstract, right? Because, you know, that you either know one system or the other, and they're often newly implementing one of the two systems, whether it's the vault side or the ERP side. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we tend to do is we lay down a standard but not complete implementation in a test environment. And then we use agile methodologies, you know, as I'm sure you're familiar with, to mm-hmm. make small increments of the rest of what they need, feature by feature, data field by data field. And we do it in small blocks. And what we try to do is, first of all, we try to guide people to not make more customizations than is absolutely necessary because, Mm -hmm. you know, you just, you have to own them for the rest of your life. Um, But then the methodology is essentially, we make a small increment of functionality based on what they've seen and they know they need that's different. They test that out. You know, we turn it around, they get a new update, install it. Takes seconds usually. Um, the, the the customizations are fairly simple incrementally. And then queue up the next set. They try it. Sometimes this is a weekly cadence and it takes a few weeks to get a, enough three, four, five, six blocks of changes to where they get to where now they understand. I see how this all fits together. Over in CAD, we call this a that. And over here, we call it, you know, an item. And they correspond like this. And I need these six fields translated and these two fields concatenated to make the field that goes over there. And then I need a version number appended, you know, little things like that that are easily done in increments. But if you wanted to write the great big spec on day one, no one knows what they don't know. So it's it actually yeah. isn't possible. So we would never approach it that way. So we're sort of happy that, I don't know, whenever it was, whenever the Agile Manifesto was written, that those guys thought of that <laughs> stuff, it was like 12 years ago or something. Yeah. Um, I'm glad they did that because I don't. I wouldn't survive this as an old waterfall style process. Um, there's no way we can't explain it. No one could scope it. They all these projects would be a mess. And as it is, they're actually they're iterative, and at no point do you feel like you're that far from understanding what's going on. At least usually. So that's the approach. Classic agile. Yeah. 
Well, Mel, what would you say for most of your clients, the new clients that come to Cool Orange, and and of course, let's say they're using CAD or Autodesk, and of course, they have a an ERP system. What would you say is the biggest reason for reaching out to Cool Orange? I mean, what what is that pain point that finally just drives them over the edge and says, hey, we got to do something here? Yeah, they're sick of taking their bill of materials, exporting it to a spreadsheet, monkeying with a spreadsheet, exporting that, putting it in a shared folder to be consumed by their ERP system, and then two hours later getting back an error report or being told that it was put in a dead letter bin and they have to figure out what went wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. So the semi-automatic manual shared folder integration style that's sort of like the first thing everyone tries to do to connect these kind of systems, it's simply unsatisfactory and it it's a it's a waste of time. It, it's neither efficient nor accurate. And people often have settled for that and worked that way for a long time. Um or worse, they have someone whose job it is literally to have two screens for two applications open and cut and paste. Yeah. Um, which, uh, I mean, that sounds like it should be, there should be labor laws that don't allow you to do that to people. <laughs> but, you know, uh, when, when they see what can happen, if we actually live with a bi-directional gateway, integrate the two applications um, and let them, let each sort of team work in their own environment, uh, no one doesn't want this. <laughs> the question yeah. is, do they yeah. have the wherewithal to get it done, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true, Mel. You know, when you start talking about the value of this, right, like the items that we've talked about today, like extending the use end user experience, you know, improved automation, central source of truth, data compliance, you know, all these pieces that on the front end, you can make sure you kind of check all those boxes before it even gets to your item master and ERP is a, is a significant Absolutely. benefit. And, and Mel- Can I, I one thing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry. Uh, there's another aspect of how customers come to us early in this that you're actually familiar with, right? From, from us working together. Um, there's often a change point in the underlying infrastructure, whether it's the, the Autodesk side, right? So they've, they've just moved onto this CAD environment they have, they're just deploying Vault, say. Or just as commonly, they're either changing to a new ERP system. So they've got some 30-year-old thing or 20-something-year-old thing that, you know, that they limped through Y2K and now they're yeah. finally changing, right? Or in like the context that, that you and I worked together before, uh, there's an acquisition, a divestiture, a departmental reshuffling in a big, you know, global company where they need to harmonize these systems, whether it's on the sort of ERP side, right? Or on the technical side. So, you know, we do a lot of work with, um, You've got an entity that's made 25 acquisitions over 12 years, and they've the engineering departments have run semi-independently for a bunch of years, and they're finally saying, all right, this is crazy. We need to get some efficiency out of, out of the fact that we have 12 engineering design teams around the world that could be working together better, right? And we we integrated all their ERP data you know, in a Jack Nestel-style project after the companies were acquired, yeah. but we never did get their engineering data fully pulled in and harmonized, right? Uh -huh. So we that's an opportunity also to revisit the integration processes, but also the maybe a chance to go through and clean up, reorganize, restructure some of that engineering data, which it can be a lot of work, but it can also it can also yield some real value in terms of process efficiency, et cetera. Yeah. And Mel, speaking of real value, what would you say after such an exercise what would you say is the biggest metrics that demonstrates the real ROI 
whether it's integrating the products together or just the data validation, take it as an opportunity to do some house cleaning. What, what are some right. good metrics that organizations could use to say, hey, oh yeah, this is, um, this is a real ROI here? Yeah, it depends on the, the sort of the style of design team, right? So in certain environments, you're interested in sort of your cycle time for design changes, right? So if it takes you as long to communicate the changes that the engineers want to make to a product that they design over to the shop floor, to procurement or whatever, as it takes for them to actually do the work, then clearly you can compress the cycle time simply by taking that tail end of the process and automating it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. The other is if, so your, your same size design team, which is often a scarce resource, can simply get more done right? Turn product changes, make new product designs. Uh, if you're a project-oriented manufacturer where things are sort of engineered to order, then it actually it's actually could be the bottleneck in how many orders you can take. You know, you make a, a complex engineered order system, say conveyor systems for logistical operations or HVAC systems, you know, for buildings or whatever. Those things are often complex engineered to order out of standard parts. And the rate at which you can turn the design around into a bill of materials that then gets handed to manufacturer um, affects how many orders you can take and affects the throughput of your entire, you know, sales to, you know, what are they called? Order to cash process, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's one way of looking at it. The other is in more sort of stable product skew environments. How often do you accidentally cause a uh, scrap or rework? Right. If you, you do a design change and because your communication of the changes is either disorderly or sort of haphazard, you know, you're doing it manually and you could make a mistake. You forget, you forget to update one mold file that goes into a thing that gets sent out to procurement. Then you get the boat anchor coming back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, there's sort of different different metrics there. The last I would say is that if you think about the environment of, say, these post-acquisition or divestiture things, how quickly can you get the new team up and working again, right? If they get to work on Tuesday after the acquisition closes and they realize, oh, wow, we're not in that domain anymore and I, can't, I don't have my CAD files, how am I going to make a change to this design they just sent me, right? Yeah. I mean, it's rarely that silly, but you know, you've seen it can be a lot of work to get the engineering team back up and running with their tools and their data and their environment all nice and clean the way they had it, say, before a divestiture, yeah. right? And so doing that well, planning for that as part of the whole, you know, what what uh, you M&A guys call uh, integration is also important, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, great insight there, Milt. I appreciate it. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges technically on, you know, whether it's a just an integrating, you know, Autodesk with an ERP or with, like you said, getting after an acquisition, getting your engineering department reestablished in their own instant, mm -hmm. right, in their own environment. Um, so in either case, what, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges from a technical perspective? Sure. Well, if you just think about what the kind of data we're talking about, right? First of all, engineering designs are locked up in large interconnected binary files that are that are obscure to anything except for the applications that write them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So uh, you could add to that the fact that sometimes these files have been saved haphazardly either in no system at all, say a shared drive, right? Or strewn around people's own disks if it's really bad. Mm -hmm. um, 
uh, or even they're in some system, but it's a system that doesn't go with an acquisition or a divestiture, for, right? So you now have potentially 20, 30, 40, 50 years of CAD designs, uh, some of which were originally paper and were scanned, and some of which started in CAD, and some of which started in CAD that's a different CAD than you're using now. That corpus of data is complex, interconnected, sometimes old and broken. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then you, and then now you want to beautifully cleanly integrate it with your ERP system so that bills of materials that you export are coherent and clean. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. it's a, there's, there's some heavy lifting in here, no matter how smart your tools are. Yeah. Right. There's some challenges right in there. Well, you know, obviously, Mel, that, you know, to make systems work for businesses, regardless of what that system is, uh, especially if you're going to integrate systems, I mean, that requires a fair amount. You, you have to address the people, the processes, and the technology piece of that equation, right? Absolutely. And what would you say are some of the biggest challenges in terms of implementation? What should organizations look for if they're looking forward to to move forward with this? What what are some of the biggest challenges they should look out for? Some of the biggest gotchas from an implementation perspective? Sure. Well, one is not having a good understanding of your own processes, right? Mm -hmm. So underneath these systems, the data itself can be messy, but if your processes are clean, you can build scaffolding to compensate for that. So, you know, my automation and guardrails next to my gateway there, right? So if we know very carefully what I want to communicate, say, between my design release process and my ERP system or my procurement system, then we can watch with code to say, you know, sort of on the fly, hold on, the data you're about to try to push through isn't in good shape. Right, and even if we can't fix it automatically with some, you know, uh, some of our little guardrail things, at the very least we can just flag it and tell the human who's looking at it, that, okay, you got to clean this up before you know you, we pass it over. And that's not the end of the world, right? It's a, a human beings doing design work anyway. So if they realize that they pulled some old file to start with that came from the previous system and doesn't have all the properties filled in, etc okay, a human being can go back and fix that. So long as you're watching because you know what's required to do the process correctly this time, right? So that's sort of one thing. The other thing that people can plan for, um, and this is when we're setting up these systems sort of in the first place or when we're uh, harmonizing, say, two systems that come from acquisitions, is it's that's a good time to take a look at your corpus of data and decide if there's some things that you want to try to fix now or other things that you're just going to want to flag for if you ever need it later. So I'll give you an example. We often migrate a big bulk corpus of this data from you know an old legacy PDM system that's being abandoned maybe because a, a larger company acquired a small company and they're not going to use the system that the the little company used because it's end of life by its vendor or it's just mm -hmm. different from what they use. So we, we extract all the data and we're going to load it into the, the parent companies, hopefully a vault. Um, when we do that, there could be of the, I don't know, let's say 1.8 million CAD files we're going to bring over, only 5% of those are actively in use now and the rest are historical versions or versions of data from files that yeah. are products that they don't ship anymore or whatever. Now, we're not going to go through manually and even decide, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the trick is to, to do a little bit of analysis of that data, 
bring it, maybe we even bring it all over, but we just mark it all and say, the next person who checks this out, which implies it is something you care about, right then we'll throw up a, a little flag that says, okay, we didn't clean this up. You have to, right? We, I, I sometimes refer to that as the pottery barn rule, right? Yeah. You, you broke yeah. it, you bought it, right? And you can do that with CAD data. You can say, hey, look, we're not going to try to fix all this because you know most of it we probably don't need or we'll never see again. But when we do, we're not going to try to like make some really smart software that figures out how to fix it. We'll just tell you, make sure you fix it. And by the way, then we have those guardrails that won't let you push it through the process until it's correct. Yeah. Right? And that's all we do is we make sure we have the gates on it. Did yeah. that answer the question? I think that did. Yeah. Thank you, Mel. And, you know, so obviously you folks at Cool Orange, it, it's technology. I mean, obviously providing that technical sure. solution, but, you know, it's also about the implementation. And, you know, to your point there, it's almost contextual, right? As far as your implementation and maybe sometimes a bit of an art in the way that you approach you know, such a, a data migration. And uh, yeah. and I've seen it in action with you and your team. And, and I know you do a great job with this. But yeah, to a certain degree, it's, you know, really kind of taking that step back and really understanding your strategy and why, making sure people are aligned, making sure that they understand your approach and the best way to go about uh, such a data migration or integration. Sure. Well, it's not entirely different from the acti the activities you have to go through when designing, you know, a new ARP system for someone yeah. like you do, right? The, mm -hmm. the idea is you have to understand what they're trying to accomplish. Um, you won't maybe understand it in the level of detail that they do if they're the people who are going to live it, but you have to understand well enough to translate that into the data and the processes that are implemented by the system, you know, in, the, in our case, the vault, right? Yeah. In our case, maybe RP or whatever, yeah. right? Just, just well enough that you can put that in place for them, then they can see it concrete and decide if that is exactly yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mel, it's been a fun conversation, uh, some great insights, some some great pointers here. I really appreciate it. But I have one more question for you. What is your golden nugget of advice for our listeners today based on this conversation? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Plan for technical data, right? I mean, especially sort of in your broader world, right, where you're dealing with the entire IT landscape of companies. Often, if your poor design team gets ignored because they, you know, even in very large manufacturers, sometimes your tech lead sort of engineering design staff can actually be relatively small, right? Supporting a potentially large, you know, manufacturing operation. Yeah. Um, so don't leave it out of the discussion when you're talking about, you know, things like ERP and, and procurement and CRM and even HR, right? Um, your, your, your engineers and their data need love too. So, yeah. <laughs> so th think, think about it early, especially in acquisitions and divestitures, right? Because yeah. that's, you know, often the whole thing moves forward based on things that have nothing to do with our poor engineers. And uh, if you don't plan a little bit for their future, uh, the, they'll be left scrambling when there's no budget left and no time. Yeah, right. And that's not a fun position that anybody wants to be in. No, um, it is not. Well, listeners, in conclusion, uh, today we discussed efficient data management, automation, and integration in manufacturing. Our expert, Milt, shared insights on Autodesk Vault Solutions. We talked about PowerGate, multi-level bombs, CAD integration, data compliance, and advantages and challenges of connecting Autodesk to other business systems. So to make a difference... 
You can evaluate your data management practices and processes, explore advantages and real ROI of integration. And as Milt just said with his golden nugget, plan for technical data, plan ahead and plan for technical data. Remember, learning is crucial, but taking action and implementing changes is what drives success. Thank you for joining us today. Keep learning and applying your knowledge to drive positive ERP organizational change. And before we go, Milt, can you please tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you, please? Yeah, sure. Best bet, just go to www.coolorange.com. And as usual, we will have all of Milt's information in our show notes as well. Mel, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate it. As usual, it's fun. Um, you know, I, I know you and your team well and highly recommended. And I do encourage our listeners, uh, if they have the opportunity to really just take a step back and think about, you know, some of the opportunities and value adds that we talked about today. So, uh, Mel, thank you. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the ERP OCJ podcast. This podcast is intended as a forum to study, share, and discuss ERP organizational change successes and challenges. We discuss the people, process, and technological components of ERP organizational change by drawing on knowledge from extensive research, collaborative learning, and practitioner expertise and experience. We are incredibly grateful to have friends, colleagues, and mentors join us in our podcast as we seek to promote, connect, and foster relationships in the ERP organizational change community and contribute to its success by bringing research and practice closer together. We want to make sure this is the most useful and insightful ERP podcast you listen to, and we'd love your help in doing so by leaving us feedback and a review. A great place to do so is at Apple Podcasts. Just click on the Listen in Apple Podcasts link, then click Ratings and Reviews, and let us know your thoughts. You can get more info about the show, including show notes and episode highlights for this and all of our episodes by visiting nestleandassociates.com and clicking the podcast option. Please join us again next week as we discuss the latest ERP organizational change research, practice, and stories. And don't forget to follow us on social media, hashtag the ERPOCJ. Thanks again for listening. Have a fantastic week.